welcome to Your Company Health Podcast, where we tell the stories of entrepreneurs and business professionals. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Your Company's Health Podcast. This is a podcast highlighting entrepreneurs and business owners' success stories and strategies for growth. I'll be your host, Andre Wright. I own the Wright Consult LLC, a digital marketing company, uh, helping various business owners for over a decade now. And also my illustrious co-host, Anne-Marie Giglio, who owns uh, Core Matters, and she's a health and fitness expert here in uh, North Georgia. This is our first episode, and uh, we're very excited to discuss the coronavirus pandemic and how it's impacting all of us. Today we have Dr. Wes Bailey, family and sports medicine doctor. Great having you on our first podcast. We are excited today to hear from you and for you to cover the issues surrounding this pandemic and uh, how we can take care of ourselves and how we can help each other. My good friend, Dr. Wes Bailey, now is a great time to speak with you, even with the COVID crisis. There are a lot of good information and misinformation going on out there. So we just want to have a chat with you and uh, see how it goes and see how you can educate us. So Wes, how are you? Doing very well. Yourself? I'm doing well. Give us some background to us about yourself and uh, how you started your career. I got you. Well, I I practice family medicine and non-operative sports medicine in Georgia. So I help uh, folks prevent problems such as high blood pressure, diabetes, sports injuries, and muscle and joint pains. And I also help folks treat such problems if they've already developed. Um, I see kids, young kids to elderly adults. Uh, in terms of how I started, basically, I always knew I wanted to uh, apply science to helping others, so I always had an interest in medicine. Uh, I took the traditional route, completed medical school, uh, followed by residency in family medicine. I also decided to seek uh, extra training in non-operative sports medicine, so I subsequently completed a one-year fellowship uh, program. And then uh, afterward, I entered their official practice. Okay, cool, cool. You know, extensive experience there. So I mentioned initially about the COVID. It's all over the place. We're in this yeah. together. So from your perspective, you know, what are some of the key things that we should be doing uh, personally? And also, as Anne-Marie and I were business owners, to maintain a safe working environment. This issue has come up on actually a daily basis during the course of my natural patient interactions. I guess from a personal standpoint, the, the big idea is finding ways to establish and maintain a healthy function. So one big point of emphasis uh, during my discussions with folks is basically controlling what you can control. One thing I've been encouraging folks to do is to try as best they can to establish and maintain a, a home routine. Obviously, with the pandemic, it's uh, caused significant shifts in terms of our daily functions. So I've been encouraging folks to do things such as scheduling walks, um, exercise, reading, meditation, uh, phone calls, uh, et cetera, just to try to maintain some sense of true normalcy at home during a time when things clearly aren't quite normal. Also, I've been uh, trying to encourage uh, folks to think of ways to improvise. Uh, for example, if, if you're accustomed to exercising at your employer uh, work site, but obviously can no longer do so, I try to help folks think of ways to develop kind of safe exercise routines at home. That way, their lives don't just uh, stop, so to speak. Another point of emphasis has been maintaining awareness, uh, trying to access reliable sources of information so that folks can remain informed. So, for example, you know, I've been encouraging folks to at least check out 
sites such as the state public health site to just get reliable data and uh, public health advisories and, and recommendations. Uh, that being said, it's important to be selective with respect to, to information services and to consider limiting daily uh, social media exposure uh, with the variety of media platforms available uh, offering uh, articles, memes, and videos, there's considerable variation in terms of the validity or reliability of the information on these platforms. So this all together can contribute to feelings of uh, worry, confusion, and just uh, simply miseducation. So as part of my overall counseling, I've been uh, encouraging uh, many folks to limit their social media access to benefit them. Cool. Can I ask you a follow-up question? Sure. We've talked about this before, you know, in our practices. We've talked about the challenges of changing client behavior. Is this situation different for you? Are people more compliant or are they receptive or do they pretend that they're compliant? I mean, what do you find is happening? I think in general, folks are pretty open-minded and they want to kind of make certain changes. For example, I have many uh, patients who are trying to deal with problems with blood sugar control, blood pressure, and high cholesterol. And many of them are saying, hey, you know, I finally started making these nutritional adjustments or getting an exercise and now I'm stuck at home. What do I do? Many are kind of distressed by the fact that they don't have the answers readily available in their heads. I've been finding that uh, counseling on these lines has been quite successful during our visits, whether it's uh, in person or a telemed visit. I've been actually able to make some extra strides with some patients, um, actually. So. That's good to hear. Yeah. So, and Wes, you, you kind of touched into one of my questions. I know telehealth is a big thing now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you see this moving forward? Or is this going to be that big thing? where we're going to all move in telehealth or utilizing that? It's been available for years and uh, various practices have been kind of uh, integrating those uh, resources into their kind of daily uh, functions. I just think you're probably going to see more of the same. Uh, You're going to see uh, more and more practices offering uh, telemedicine uh, kind of consultations and evaluations. So I really just think you're going to see more of the same, to be honest with you. And from your perspective, is it very effective and efficient versus what we used to? I think telehealth uh, or telemedicine can be very effective if used appropriately. Okay. For example, during the uh, current pandemic, uh, it has been very helpful for us and our patients. Uh, mainly, it has helped us to ensure healthcare delivery while ensuring that we remain in lines with uh, current public health recommendations for the greater good. There are also some other practical benefits as well, uh, as I touched on earlier. For example, for some folks, I've been able to see some of the household items in the background when, when talking to them. And uh, because of this, I've been able to help them devise home exercise regimens to, to keep their, them going as they're relatively homebound these days. Ooh, ooh. I've been glued to the TV, you know, looking at stats here or there. But I noticed that minorities, there seems to be a, a high occurrence of, of cases with the minority population. Why is that the case? You know, That's ridiculously uh, high proportion. Yeah, it's a multifaceted issue, obviously. Uh, uh, there's no one answer to completely explain everything, but I, I do think there is one major point to consider in terms of these outcomes you're referencing. You know, I'll start with one of the more obvious items. Uh, we know that certain conditions such as high blood pressure and diabetes are associated with more complications, hospitalizations, and, and death. These conditions happen to be more prevalent in the African-American and other uh, minority populations. Complications from such conditions such as end-stage kidney disease, uh, requiring uh, hemodialysis are more prevalent in these uh, populations as well. This naturally takes us into that realm of uh, disparities, uh, which means truly a difference. There's a difference in the burden of uh, major illnesses and respective complications 
um, in the African-American and other minority communities. There are also differences um, in terms of uh, healthcare access, healthcare usage, healthcare quality, um, healthcare or insurance coverage. And this has been very well established for obviously easily the last 20 or 20 plus years. Overall, this is just tied to overall health risk in general. So if you take this in mind and then you add in an element such as a, a coronavirus, it, which would add an extra stress to the human body and system. Unfortunately, African-Americans and other minority populations are going to be more likely to have uh, worse outcomes overall. Do you think that there's also a factor where there's a lot of undiagnosed high blood pressure, type 2, that kind of thing in the community because there isn't that regular health care or they don't have insurance or whatever the situation hit with the virus on top of that? Yeah. Absolutely. It's part of the snowball effect, if you will, uh, when we yeah. start talking about the effects of uh, uh, health care disparities or health disparities. So I do think that's coming into play as well. So my follow-up question to that then is, what specifically do you think people of color can do to protect themselves or should be doing to protect themselves? Because it's clearly a problem nationwide. I think uh, the big thing is as best as one can, trying to really uh, establish uh, a healthcare team, at least starting with a primary care doctor. You know, as I mentioned earlier, uh, there are significant challenges in terms of access to healthcare affecting various communities, but I do think we all collectively have to work together to to see if we can uh, make a dent with respect to this problem. So I think that's the big place to start, uh, just getting routine screenings for things such as diabetes, high blood pressure, um, and high cholesterol would be the key place to start. Along with that will will come your avenues for education as well. One thing that affects folks is, uh, like you're saying, sometimes folks may have uh, mild symptoms or subtle symptoms. Uh, they may not know that this could be signs of something more ominous. Uh, mm-hmm. So by the time they may actually present or seek uh, help, they may be far into a very dangerous process. And I, I think that is coming into play with some of the outcomes you're seeing with uh, COVID-19 as well. Yeah, I doubt most people could name, what are there, six symptoms now? I mean, most people are thinking fever and cough. That's all they got. In the last three months, they don't understand that there's a list of symptoms now. I think that might be part. Overall, the education is a problem. The part of that too is just that basic step of just reaching out to contact a healthcare professional, whether it's your physician or supporting staff, such as a nurse at the doctor's practice. Having that access available is a challenge for many folks. Yeah. Now, do you think we're not going to solve the problem here? But how do you see? this rolling out, like I know that in South Georgia, for example, there are no hospitals anymore. People that are getting sick in South Georgia who are people of color, they're getting the virus. They have to get in an ambulance and be driven for an hour to get to a hospital. And I'm sure that's in lots of places, not just South Georgia. To me, in my mind, that's a huge problem. And we need a solution now. I mean, people need help now. So do you have any idea of how that could be addressed? I mean, is it a mobile situation where we set up, like, can we use the National Guard to set up mobile facilities? I mean, why not? We've done yeah, it. I think that's a good idea. You know? We've actually been hearing uh, such uh, ideas for at least the past uh, month or two, actually. Those uh, thoughts or concepts you just raised have been uh, going around at all. We've seen kind of similar efforts in Georgia as well. For example, certain hospital systems may be designating certain sites for folks who clearly need COVID testing. But then you uh, but still have to drive for an hour to get there. I mean, that's a problem. Not, you know? not always, but I know in certain parts, typically your more rural areas, that's definitely going to be uh, yeah. more, more prevalent. I think this is ultimately a, a situation in which 
you know, we're realizing uh, a need in the midst of a current uh, pandemic. So I think or hope moving forward that um, all of us, the uh, different uh, healthcare institutions and policy institutions uh, collectively will work together to kind of ensure a robust response to search developments in the future. Yeah, it's certainly shining a light on it. Have you seen, I believe it was the University of Michigan, there's a neurologist there who's suggested with another neurologist that we use all of the academic laboratories that are set up in the United States to do testing. I mean, they've got all the equipment, they've got all the personnel, everybody's trained. Instead of having LabCorp or somebody have to go out and hire people and set up labs and, you know, buy equipment, these are all just sitting there fallow right now. So that talk about that. That's a concept that isn't exactly new these days in the setting of this pandemic. That, that it's, it falls under that topic of just increasing uh, testing resources and access to testing, uh, along with potential, uh, for lack of a better phrase, barriers to testing as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, there's been more of a widespread push to have testing available uh, without necessarily having a doctor's order, especially in certain places where you know access to uh, healthcare has clearly been a challenge for folks. That just happened in Georgia now. You don't need symptoms to get a test as of today, which I'm excited. Hearing about this in other states as well, so I do think it's a trend that will continue to play out. And I I think that is important, even for people who are asymptomatic, to know if you're immune to the disease. So I, I think having that Testing, those testing sites, is, that's very important. Yeah, that's key, isn't it? I mean, it's the asymptomatics that are the problem, not the sick people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to contain the virus, I mean, if we want to control this situation, it's the asymptomatics that are the issue. I think the testing goes very well along with, it, with just general precautions. For example, we've generally been encouraging folks to wear masks as much as possible, particularly in public, regardless of whether you're having symptoms. That's uh, with respect to the fact that many individuals are asymptomatic, meaning they're, they're not going to know that they can infect others. They're not going to know that their bodies are currently trying to fight off infection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You brought up masks, right? I know I try to run a couple of miles, you know, a day or so, <laughs> three times for the week. Should I be wearing masks when I'm running west? That's a good question, and it, it does come up too. In general, wearing a mask during running when you're not accustomed to doing so can be risky. I would generally uh, truly recommend just checking with your doctor first before doing so. The question would be too, in terms of, would be in terms of the intensity of your run, the distance, what would be the environmental conditions, do you have other issues such as seasonal allergies, asthma, et cetera. So the answer really will vary for individuals. Okay. Good to know. My thought, because I was listening to uh, some experts and they're saying that the good thing with the mask, when you have it on, it protects you from, you know, people who try to touch their face all the time. Once you have on the mask, it protects you from, you know, not touching your nose or your mouth. So that's the advantage of actually wearing the mask. And even gloves, you know, Anne-Marie and I were talking about gloves earlier. So when you actually wear the gloves, uh, it reminds you not to touch your face or what, what about gloves? You think we should wear that in public? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of debate on that. Yeah. If you're going to wear gloves and if one is aware of principles of infection prevention and avoidance of contamination and cross-contamination, then wearing gloves might actually be beneficial. But if you're going to wear gloves and then you're going to grab your phone and touch everything else and then touch your face, then it, it kind of defeats the point of wearing the gloves in the first place. Uh, so that's how you're hearing a lot of the debate uh, in terms of whether wearing gloves are truly be, um, um, effective. I would say if, if you're going to wear the gloves and be very uh, mindful and aware of the principles of 
cross-contamination infection prevention, they can be helpful. Otherwise, they might not be as helpful. Okay. With that, too, uh, is going to your public health uh, websites can be helpful. Also, too, calling your doctor. Uh, that's a perfectly valid uh, question with which to call your doctor and ask. So, Cool. Thanks for that information. So another thing, I'm just confused here, right? When it comes to groceries, because so, my wife and I, we use Instacart, right? And they would bring the groceries to the door. Should we take the bag in? Or, because my thing is, I would put on the gloves and I'll wipe them off from, from there before I bring them in. How, how do we treat groceries? Or, you know, is it something that it's not a problem? Or As best as one can, I would try to have an isolated area for outside objects. Uh, one common example would be uh, the garage, where you would have an area for uh, wiping things down or, or sanitizing them, if you will, before potentially bringing them into the house. That would be the uh, ideal uh, situation. Right. Because I'm thinking we could go crazy on these things. When we get the chicken, should we, you know, wipe off the, out, the outer wrapping and then, you know, wash it and bread? What do we do with bread? You know, do we strip off the bag? And it could be, you it's know, a, a lot of... It's, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. But so the idea then, Wes, is that, as you mentioned, just have a, a separated place like in the garage just to put them, clean them there and then bring it into the home. Yeah, it's taking every reasonable precaution one can. There's not going to be any one measure that's going to be 100% effective in terms of guaranteeing that you won't uh, contract this virus, but you're really just trying to develop and, and practice good habits to at least lessen your chances, to minimize them as much as you can. Cool, cool. And Wes, I know you're a, you're a sports medicine doctor. What are the sports that we can play now? Or should we be playing sports? <laughs> right? The same principles apply oh to athletes, you know, whether it's football, uh, basketball, rugby, baseball, soccer, ballet. It's the same principles to apply to those populations as well. That's why you're seeing a lot of the sports leagues put things on pause. That's why dates for resuming such activities are still to be determined at this point. You're even seeing it at, at the college level mm-hmm. uh, because uh, the same principles apply. So what about golf? Because... Same. But, I mean, it's just me on the ball, and I mean, I can keep, like, six feet. Right. We don't want want four people standing right around the hole at the same time looking at each other without masks. That's the type of situation we want to avoid. So uh, those same principles uh, apply there. Okay. So you're saying golf you can play, but you have to take precaution. Yeah, and in general, you want to try to to maintain your normal uh, activities as much as possible while uh, adhering to these precautions. Uh, For example, uh, social distancing. Um, If it's an activity where these things just aren't possible or aren't practical or just going to be too hard to maintain any sort of consistent level, then I've been generally advising folks to avoid such activities, uh, at least for the short term until we can get more public health data and information to help us provide further guidance. Yeah. Amber, you were saying something. I know you're, you're trying to get. Yeah, I'm wondering if you've seen any positive effects on your patients, or your clients, because I, I do see a lot of people out walking that I didn't used to see, even though we suggested it all the time. The same thing. Yeah. Yes. The short answer. Uh, I have seen it. I've noticed the same thing. Leaving uh, my home in the morning and uh, going home at night, and even uh, on weekends, uh, I'm just noticing exactly the same thing. A lot more folks are walking than I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, so there, there seem to be some positives coming from this. And, and I've also noticed this with some of my patients. Paradoxically, some of them are exercising now more than ever. 
I've been working with them to get them to exercise more for several months, and now they're exercising almost daily. So yeah. uh, I've seen some positives. Yeah. We set up Zoom classes in the studio, and mm-hmm. same thing. People are working out five days a week now, five or six, some of them, which is good. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen any numbers change, like somebody's blood pressure coming down or anything like that that you can quantify for them? No, no. The data might encourage them to keep doing this, right? Yeah, not quite. I have seen some weight loss, so that counts. So I have seen that, but I just think uh, I probably won't see any clear uh, trends, if you will, for at least another month or so to give them time for these changes to truly take effect physiologically. Uh, But I do do anticipate uh, a number of patients will have uh, lower blood pressures and better numbers are the next time uh, we see them in person and are able to update labs, blood pressure, et cetera. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. I do have some folks who are losing weight, even though they're relatively homebound. So that's been awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. That's great. I wanted to uh, ask you this, you know, we're discussing this a little bit earlier. Uh, We're seeing some numbers out there in terms of cases here in Georgia, right, from a county level. But I don't mean to put you in a spot, but where can we get zip codes level? to know, you know, what are the cases in specific areas? Is that available out there? Uh, from what I'm seeing, the Department of Public Health website has provided the most detailed information region-wise, not just by giving you numbers, but by giving you kind of uh, photographic illustrations as well. For example, graphs. Um, I'm thinking if you uh, desire more information, perhaps giving the Department of Public Health a call, that would probably be the best approach to it. But I, I have not seen such specific data quite yet. Perhaps there are authorities who are working on this and gathering that data. To my knowledge, that data isn't readily available yet. I would have believed that if we have that information out there, I mean, we could combat this disease even better because I would know that, hey, I need to stay away from that zip code, you know, because there are, there are a lot of cases there. You know, or you, you, know think, you need to get better at social distancing and wearing your mask in certain zip codes. I mean, that would be good information to have. Yeah, I think the more that we all collectively kind of follow those those guidelines, uh, the, the better chance we'll have in, in uh, getting this pandemic to quell. But I do think uh, for what it's worth, uh, I know the Georgia Department of Public Health website does have numbers by county at least. I do think that that information can kind of get you going in that desired direction knowledge-wise. They definitely have county. I have seen zip yeah. code, but I, I have to go back and dig okay. out where I found that because I have seen it by zip code, which was interesting. If you're located, send it my way, so... Okay. <laughs> no. I'm curious as well. So no, it it helps. I mean, of course, it, of it, it seems to see where things are because we were talking earlier about nursing homes. Like in nurse in Roswell, apparently this is a self-reporting situation right now. But in Roswell, only three nursing homes have reported testing test results. I know there's more than three here. Yeah, and that feeds into the county data. And in fact, one of the nursing homes was incorrectly listed as Cobb County rather than Fulton County. Oh, so yeah. that yeah, makes so me question all the numbers, but, yeah, you just carry, I, I just believe, I mean, more information, you know, would help all of us, you know, yeah, data so. would be nice. So one of the things I know I've been seeing a lot of on uh, social media is all kinds of stuff about home remedies. Where do you fall on that? Dr. Bailey? I'm not against home remedies. Uh, I, I've been very clear with folks. If they're, developing any combination of, of symptoms that we discussed, the very first thing is to self-quarantine and call us and that, and that we'll take it from there, not to try to just treat it themselves. Right. Okay. Wes, uh, I know we've we, we been speaking a lot about COVID 
from where you're sitting, where do you see this going in terms of timeline for vaccine or when we can be back to normal? Is Or will, will we ever be normal again? And there where, may be, where do you see this going? Next three years down the line? or? <laughs> well, from what I'm reading, uh, researchers are, are actually working on developing a vaccine. So that may happen within the next a few months to several months from what I'm seeing and hearing. So pretty um, optimistic along those lines. Uh, in terms of normal, in all likelihood, there's going to be a new normal, um, if you will, uh, not just for folks individually, but for organizations uh, and businesses as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of businesses are going to realize they don't need the fancy office, um, and others are going to find out that they desperately need it. So there's going to be a shift. Yeah, yeah there's going to be a lot of changes after this. Another thing that I wanted to ask you is, from a health uh, healthcare industry perspective, mm-hmm. uh, where do you, because I'm, I'm big on trends and I'm a digital marketer, I'm big on trends, where do you see healthcare in the next decade? Is there a new trend or where do you see, see it going? Like many others, I, I think you're going to see more integration of telehealth or telemedicine resources into clinical practices, whether it's on hospital floors, hospital units, or our outpatient clinics. I just think you're going to see more usage of those resources, more availability over the uh, next several years. So has this affected how you practice your medicine already? Because it seems like to some degree, when you have enough experience, I suppose you can look at somebody. I mean, I can do that in a studio. I can look at somebody and assess their biomechanics or whatever I'm looking for. But at some point, have you already figured out what the line is where you have to see somebody in person? That goes back to my earlier point about uh, using uh, the telehealth resources uh, appropriately. So during that evaluation, you are making as many observations as one can. You're mm-hmm. asking very specific questions as would if the person were standing right there in your office. And then you're using your clinical judgment to figure out whether it's a situation that you can manage while keeping the individual at home or whether you actually need to bring the individual out to your office or direct them to a higher acuity facility for treatment. The ability to make those calls naturally come with experience regardless of the profession. But also, too, it's one of those things where you're constantly honing that skill as well. Mm-hmm. So I think it's both. Yeah, because there's a lot to like about telemedicine, I think. You know, it keeps you safe. It keeps everybody in the waiting room safe, bringing somebody in with a communicable disease. Um, it, it avoids unnecessary stress on the patient, the client. That's a good um, point, yeah. There's a lot to like there, especially when you live in a place where you have to drive somewhere and there's traffic and accidents and all that crap. So, I, I think having it available, too, uh, helps uh, to lessen barriers to healthcare. care. Um, oftentimes, just the you know, exactly. process of getting ready and driving to your doc's office will deter folks from even showing up. And so... And right. that, that can be tied into suboptimal outcomes in terms of your blood pressure control, for example. Yeah, and that goes back to that whole idea of people who are in more rural areas and they don't have healthcare facilities nearby. I mean, this is a viable option for them, I would think. You know, to some degree, it could help with at least triaging, if nothing else. Yeah, and it helps address the, the access issue amongst, amongst other, other issues. So. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of exciting, actually. It is. It is. I think telehealth is going to be great as we discuss about access and people in the rural here. So, Wes, I know we've been we've been talking for a little while. Anne Marie, do you have any more questions for Wes, or um, I want to keep him here. I know he's just kind of want to go home and eat. 
<laughs> I think this has been great. I guess maybe one last question. How do you imagine us rolling things back out, like essential services? What's the next level after? We know what the essential services are now, right? We've got truck drivers and people working in distribution and healthcare workers like yourself. What would be the next level of essential services? Like, and then we'll level after that. And Cause for me, nail salons and hair, you know, beauty parlors, that's way up here somewhere. <laughs> it's not the second way we wave to roll out. Like how, how do you see that rolling out in a way that's safe for people when we don't really have the numbers on who's infected yet? That kind of, that's kind of just it. I really don't have a good firm answer to that question. Um, I think um, at the end of the day, we need more objective information, uh, such as data, to help guide us. And then I think really we'll just have to follow suit in terms of our lo- local uh, government and uh, local uh, healthcare institutions who are working together currently to help kind of guide the masses. So I just think you're going to have to see a continuation of, of that kind of uh, mass cooperation here to help help us kind of figure this out. Mm. Yeah, I was wondering, because I think Governor Cuomo in New York has kind of layered it a little bit and said, you know, things like teachers and social workers and, you know, that next level of service providers would be the next level that they open. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a tough I one. Imagine, yeah, I imagine the rollouts will vary by state and regions as well, just to reflect kind of differences uh, with re- with respect to economy, uh, demographics, et cetera. So, I anticipate you're definitely going to see some variations across all the states. Mm. Interesting, interesting. All right, Wes, it comes to the point now uh, where we ask some fun questions, right? Some <laughs> fun questions. What is your favorite sport? Tough one, tough one. I'll go with college <laughs> basketball. Well, basketball. Uh, what is your favorite dish? French toast. French toast? French toast, really? <laughs> yeah. I love French toast. Pizza's a very My cool daughter loves French toast, too. So if you could say one thing that we don't know about you, mm. where a, a unique thing, apart from the French toast, like something mm-hmm. unique. <laughs> I don't know if it's necessarily unique, but um, I like to bake. I like to bake brownies. Oh, <laughs> that's good to know. Exciting, I know. Yeah, yes. Definitely. Thank you so much, sir, for joining us on our first episode of this uh, Company Health podcast. Uh, looking to have you again in the future. So before you run, uh, tell us uh, how anyone listening can reach you and you yeah. can, you know, give us a, your website or any other pages that you know we could reach you. I'm with uh, Perimeter North uh, Medical Associates, uh, so uh, you can access us uh, online at www.pnfm.com. Uh, also, um, I do have a page on LinkedIn as well. It's my name, uh, Dr. Wes Bailey. Uh, so folks can feel free to connect with me on that, on that platform as well. All righty. So uh, thank you so much again, sir. It was a pleasure. Great conversation. Yeah, and, thanks. Uh, thanks, Doc. And thank you for your work. We appreciate no, it. No problem. We're all working together. So appreciate you all having me. Thanks. Have a nice day, sir. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Please come to our website, yourcompanyhealth.com for more.